You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. There are a ton of verses that we are going to cover, but we're not going to cover them each as much in detail as the others. And so uh, we do have a, a, a little bit of a haul today, so dig in. Uh, you ready for this? You, you ready to, to get into God's Word? We are uh, continuing on in our series. I love Nick's enthusiasm on that one, by the way. I think he put you all to shame. And so let's try that again. Um, you guys ready to get into God's Word? Yes. 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 Uh, we are uh, working through a series called The Worshiping and Sending Church. And uh, I, I like the order of that. Uh, worship is first, right? Uh, we believe that the church is first and foremost about the glory of God. That, that we are uh, here because He is worthy and that we are here to declare His glory, to give Him glory with our lives and with our words. Uh, But then the order goes like this. It's the worshiping and sending church. And we believe that worship leads to sending. Worship, when we get consumed with the glory of Jesus Christ, leads to us just being on fire for who He is and telling everybody about Him because He is worthy, right? And, And then that... Ultimately, that sending leads back to worship. So we could say it's the worshiping and sending and worshiping and sending and worshiping and sending church because there's supposed to be a replication that happens based on what Jesus has done in our lives. And so we believe that, that God has uh, six values or pursuits that He wants every single church to be going after. And uh, these are not... Um, something that we made up. I mean, we, we kind of organized them in this way, uh, but we are um, partnered together with a, an organization called the Great Commission Collective, other churches throughout the world uh, that, are, that are going after these same pursuits, but ultimately we just find these pursuits in the Bible. And uh, we allow the Word of God to lead us and guide us in who, who we are and what we're supposed to be as a church. And so uh, can anyone give me the, any one of the first three? Because we're trying to memorize these pursuits together, right? Uh, these, these values. Uh, so any, anybody, give me one of the first three. Fervent prayer. That was like the first one we went after. And it's so important because we want to be a church that is dependent upon God. And we're, we express our dependence upon God when we get on our knees before Him and we pray fervently to Him, and we expect that He's going to work, not according to our plan, but according to His plan and His purpose. All right, give me another one. Bold preaching, right. And uh, we believe that the preaching of God's Word needs to be central in a church that is supposed to be expository, which means that we actually go to the Word for what God has to say. We don't come up with what we, ha- what we have to say, and we explain and we expose what it means. But then it's not just to fill our heads with more knowledge and, and, and to just get more facts, uh, but rather that it's supposed to be applicational, that we're supposed to be doers of the Word, not just hearers only. Uh, so bold preaching, fervent prayer. What's the third one? Anyone remember? Passionate worship, and you guys were on that today, right? Like uh, proclaiming and praising the name of Jesus, but not just in our words, also in our deeds, in the way that we live our lives, that we would be living sacrifices unto the Lord. And um, that, is, that happens in spirit, that the Spirit of God resurrects our spirit to see and behold the glory of Jesus Christ. And it happens in truth, that we're responding to the truth of who Jesus is and what He has done. 
And so uh, those three values are essential to our walk of worship. Really, those are related to the worshiping part. And so this week, uh, we're going to uh, start into the sending part. And um, next week, Dwight is going to be preaching on purposeful disciple-making. I'm looking forward to that. I'm uh, hearing. I'm not going to be here, but I'm going to be hearing the message online. I'm sure. And then uh, two week or the week after that is going to be uh, a guy named Darren Greenfield, and Darren is planting a church in inner city Philadelphia, and so he's going to pl- preach on strategic church planting. Right? Like this seemed like a good fit, uh, and he's a gifted preacher. I love his heart. I've gotten to know him a little bit, and. Um, you're going to enjoy it. You're, you're going to enjoy him being here. And uh, at that same time, I'm going to be uh, in Buffalo preaching at Harvest Buffalo, uh, one of our GCC churches. And Pastor Nate is going to be here, another one of our GCC churches. And our founding pastor is going to be here on that same day. And so we're just going to like all swap around what churches we're at. And it's great because uh, we believe in strategic church planting that happens together and around the world. And so this week, though, we're going we're gonna to start in on this sending part with this, uh, this value, this pursuit. Courageous evangelism. Courageous evangelism. And uh, can I just be honest with you for a moment? Uh, the study came fairly easy this week. We're in an incredible part of God's Word, and it's a really exciting part of God's Word. Um, but, but... At the same time, uh, I was really intimidated by taking on this topic. I know that seems a little bit ironic that uh, the pastor would be intimidated by courageous evangelism. And so um, I'm just being honest with you about that. Uh, But here's the deal. Like many of you, uh, I don't believe that my primary spiritual gift is evangelism. And uh, there are times that I lack the courage that I need to share the gospel with lost people. Now, is anybody with me on that? Like, like, am I alone in lacking the courage sometimes to share the gospel with lost people? Okay, thank you for not leaving me hanging. Some of you, uh, apparently, maybe you need to be here uh, and and teaching us on courageous evangelism. Um, So I was feeling a little bit intimidated. And then uh, I read this article by John Bloom on Desiring God's website. Uh, That's, by the way, a really good resource uh, to read uh, articles off of, and and there's a lot of good things that will stir up your faith there. But uh, I I was reading this article, and it it really cut me deep, to be honest. Um, And so let me just read the opening paragraph, and maybe it'll cut you deep too. Um, He says, Do you want to live and speak more boldly for Jesus Christ? And like, that was like what we're talking about. I'm like, this is form fit for our sermon, right? And he's like, I do. Do you want to live and speak more boldly for Jesus Christ? What do you think? Yeah, right. Then he asks this question. He says, how badly do we want it? Do we want it enough to ask, seek, and knock until God answers us and to take risks that press on our timidity? Or, if we're honest, would we... Rather, just keep wishing we were bolder. Admiring bold people, being inspired by biographies about bold people, talking with our friends and small group members about our struggles with the fear of man, all the while staying where we feel safe and relatively comfortable and letting our fear go unchallenged. He says, my flesh likes the second option with more, a more flattering description. The Spirit says, if you want to walk with me, choose the first. See, I think 
Most of us want a deep, vibrant relationship with God uh, where we see Him working powerfully in us and through us and we like the idea of living by faith and we know the Great Commission and we, we want to be Great Commission disciples who make disciples and we, we still, at the same time, like the more comfortable version of the Christian life that is so popular in America. We like living safe more than we like living sent. And so we buy the lie that we are too busy. And we buy the lie that we aren't equipped enough to share the gospel with anyone. And we buy the lie that evangelism is only for those who, are, who have that spiritual gift. And we buy the lie that we just don't have anybody around us that God wants us to share the gospel with. Or that the opportunity hasn't presented itself. We, we buy the lie that the person God is calling us to share the gospel with isn't ready yet, and so we better just wait for another time. Because all that seems a lot more reasonable and even spiritual to say than to just admit, I like living safe more than I like living sent. And so can I just be the first one to step out in boldness and just say it, confess it to you, uh, brothers and sisters, this morning, uh, I like living safe more than I like living sent. And at the same time, I know that God has called us to a life of mission. He's called us to make disciples. And I, I know that He's chosen to use His people as His tools to save sinners. And I know that as I step out in faith and as I start living sent, I'm going to get to see Him work in some awesome ways. And I'm going to get to know Him more. And ultimately, I will worship Him more as I participate in His plan. And so here's what we're going for today because I like living safe more than living sent and because I'm guessing that I'm not alone in that. Uh, what we're going for today is uh, to develop courage for Spirit-empowered evan spirit evangelism in word and deed. Develop courage for Spirit-empowered evangelism in word and deed. I don't just want us to, to dream about developing courage. I, I don't want us to talk about it. I, I believe God actually wants us to do this as a church. And because I'm no guru in this, I want us to learn from another guy whose, whose life and whose death, honestly, was marked by courageous evangelism and whose story is recorded by the Holy Spirit in the Scriptures. And so your Bibles are open to Acts chapter 6. The year is uh, somewhere around 31 A.D. It, it is now a year since uh, Jesus has died on a cross uh, risen from the dead, given his disciples this commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's a year since Peter first proclaimed that message on the day of Pentecost, where 3,000 people repented and believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord and were added to the number of the church that day. And as the story of Acts keeps going on, uh, we keep getting these progress reports from Luke that more and more and more people are being to added to the number of the church. So we start at 3,000, we're just like growing from there, all located in Jerusalem. 
And so that just means that the church is doing its job of evangelizing the lost and that God is doing His work of opening the hearts of the hearers to believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. But as the church grows, uh, it creates a crisis where not everyone is uh, getting taken care of at the distribution of food for the poor. And, uh, and so there's these widows. Like, just imagine, though, like the, the care of our church. If, like, if we grew 3,000, uh, like, how hard would that be in, in, like, next week trying to deal with that? Ne- even next year, we'd still be trying to wrap our hands around, like, how do we take care of all these people? And so there's these poor widows who are, uh, they've, they've adapted more of the Greek culture. They're Jewish, but they've adapted more of the Greek culture. And so there's a little bit of prejudice going on, and, uh, and they're not getting cared for. They're not getting cared for the way that they need. And so uh, the apostles instruct the church to pick out from among themselves seven men. And I want you to pay attention to how they're described because one of them is going to stand out to us today. Look at verse 3. It says that they are men of good repute. They have a good reputation. And they are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom. They, they need that spiritual wisdom if they're going to handle this dispute and make sure that everybody's needs are taken care of. And so, so one of the men that we're introduced to then in Acts chapter 6 is Stephen. And as Luke recounts this list of seven men, uh, Stephen is the only one that he goes in and he describes in even more detail. Uh, look at verse 5. I want you to notice he's described as a man full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. So, so Stephen, you can kind of think of as one of our gospel community leaders or even one of our gospel community apprentices or hosts. Like he's just, uh, he's, not, he's not an elder, he's not an apostle, he's not some super Christian that's like above and beyond. He's not some like especially gifted person. He's just your average guy who's stepped up to serve in the church. But we're going to see today that Stephen had developed a courage in the Lord for evangelism that is unrivaled in the New Testament. I've already mentioned two descriptions of Stephen so far. Look now at verse 8 of chapter 6. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So, Do you notice a a pattern to the way that Stephen is described in in these different descriptions? He's described as one who relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today I want us to learn from Stephen five steps to develop courageous evangelism. And the one that we can't miss in Stephen's life, we won't understand Stephen's evangelism at all if we miss this one, is that we need to depend on the power of of the Holy Spirit. Depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. I see four ways that the Holy Spirit empowered Stephen in these verses. Uh, First, he was a man of good repute. So the Spirit had given him a good reputation among the church, and we're going to see among the community as well. Uh, Basically, his character stood out to people as being marked by the Holy Spirit. When you were around him, he, he, he's just, he just eat, the spirit, like eat Jesus out of his body because of the Spirit's work in his life. Have you ever been around somebody like that? 
like somebody who you're just like, I just want to get around you and let you just like, like rub off on me some because of the way that you love Jesus. And I know if I'm around you more, I'm going to love Jesus more too. Like I, like I want to be that kind of person. Do you strive to be that kind of person in your life for others? It comes not from trying harder to be a good guy or a good girl, but abiding in prayer and the Word. It comes from relying on the Holy Spirit who indwells you and guides you and leads you into all truth. That The Spirit is the one who produces new character in us that gives us a reputation in both the church and in the community. The Spirit empowered Stephen with a reputation of godly character. Secondly, he empowered Stephen in wisdom. In wisdom. In chapter 6, verse 3, he, he's among those as described as full of the Spirit and wisdom. Do you think it took some wisdom to figure out how all those widows were going to get fed? Especially when there was some racism going on and he had to deal with that part too? Do you think courageous evangelism ever requires wisdom when we speak? Wisdom is an empowerment of the Spirit. And so is faith. That's the third way uh, the Spirit gave Stephen power. Again, in 6.5, he's described as a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. Stephen believed that he, I'm sorry, he believed that he believed that he believed that he believed that Jesus Christ was his Savior and Lord. He walked by faith and not by sight. He would not do what he's about to do if he did not live his life by faith. Listen, courageous evangelism is the overflow of our faith in Jesus Christ. We believe in a Savior who is powerful enough to save us from the enemy, even death. We believe in a Lord who has told us how He wants us to live and what He wants us to do, and He is supreme and ultimate in all of creation, and so we obey and follow Him. And that changes how we live. The the Spirit of God had opened Stephen's eyes to see that Jesus was the Savior and Lord worth devoting His life to. That's the fourth way, then, that, that the Spirit gave Stephen power. He opened his eyes through grace. Grace. Verse 8 describes Stephen as full of grace and power. There is power in grace. Grace is not just this merely passive thing where God says your sins are forgiven, go now and do whatever you want and live for yourself and build your own kingdoms and I'm here to support you. If we're going to really tell others about the message of who Jesus is As He saves sinners, we're going to need a ton of grace. Grace needs to change our hearts. It needs to shape our words. It needs to reorient our priorities. Grace says, you are free from the power of sin, and you get to live now in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's grace. Grace is a gift of supernatural empowerment. Grace is the presence and power of God given to us so that we can fulfill the purposes to which God has called us. And what Luke is so clearly conveying to us is that Stephen did what Stephen did not because of Stephen, but because of the Holy Spirit who indwelled him. Everything else that we're going to talk about in this sermon flows from that one fact. You've got to hold on to that one fact. And usually if we struggle with courage in evangelism, 
It's really because we're depending upon ourselves instead of the Holy Spirit, right? Like we look to ourselves to give us the reputation that we need. We think, like, no one's going to listen to me. I'm a nobody. Or or they're just going to remember who I was in high school and they're not going to give me the time of the day. Or they're not going to listen to me because I'm an outsider in Solanco and uh, the good old boys club has turned them against me. I've felt that one before. Or, Or maybe... We think that we haven't built a deep enough relationship with a certain person in order for them to trust us. But believe me, if if you are a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit, it's going to be evident to them very quickly that there's a difference in your life and that they can listen to you. The Spirit is the one who gives us the reputation that we need. Often we look to ourselves for the wisdom that we need. So a typical fear in evangelism is like, what if I don't know the answer to some question that they ask me? What if I get stuck or back into a corner? Like, like then the person is never going to come to Jesus. They're going to reject Jesus forever because I messed up that one time. (laughs) Whose wisdom are we relying upon at that moment? We look to ourselves for the faith that we need. Often what happens is that we shift from operating out of faith in Christ to operating into faith in ourselves. And we don't even know that the shift is happening. We, we pray and we start and we ask God for help and we're operating out of faith. But then when things like, like a little bump in the road comes up, we, we, we think that we need to figure it out and we, need to, you know, we let doubts creep in and we let our control creep in and we become afraid of evangelism. And it can cause us then to miss out on His grace. Stepping out in faith in evangelism is one of the greatest ways that we get to experience the sustaining power of the grace of God in our lives. And when we refuse to exercise our faith, we we miss out on experiencing His grace and its intent in our lives. Courageous evangelism requires that we depend on the power of the Spirit. Uh, And really, we could just stop there and go home because that changes everything. Like if we learn to depend upon the power of the Spirit, like the rest is just going to come. That really is the crux of the matter for us here this morning. But I want us to continue on and see exactly how the Spirit empowered Stephen's evangelism. What did it look like for him to depend on the power of the Spirit for courageous evangelism? And so, as Stephen depended on the work of the Spirit... We see him display the deeds of the Spirit. That's number two. Display the deeds of the Spirit. We depend on the power of the Spirit, and then we display the deeds of the Spirit. Look at verse 8 again. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Stephen is filled with grace and power and it results in great signs and wonders. And now this is where all the debates start to come in, right? Like, like what were the signs and wonders? And, and do the same miraculous gifts exist today? And, and does this have any relevance to us at all? Because we don't see these things as often as, as they did back then. And, and like, should we be seeing these things more often? Is there something wrong with us? Should we be seeking them? Like, you start mentioning signs and wonders and people's heads start to explode and and they go crazy. But I want you to notice a few things about this, okay? Uh, First, Stephen does these signs and wonders 
as he is full of grace and power. Okay? So Stephen is not the source of the power. The Spirit is acting as he wills. Stephen is just surrendered to the control of the Spirit in his life. And so if there's any part that we could possibly replicate in all of this, it's simply this, surrender to the control of the Spirit in your life. That's all that we can do. The Spirit takes care of the rest. Uh, Secondly, the text does not say that Stephen had some special spiritual gift that he sought in order to do these signs and wonders. So he didn't seek some further baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, in order to do that. Like some, you hear about some uh, doctrines teaching. What we see in Stephen is an ordinary guy doing extraordinary things by the power of the Spirit who indwelled him. Which is, by the way, the same power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Third, I want you to notice that these signs and wonders are among the people. That is, they're among the unbelieving community. We're going to see that the ones who take notice of Stephen are a synagogue full of Jews who happen to disdain Jesus. And so there's a, a supernatural activity that's coming out of Stephen's life that is grabbing the attention of unbelievers because he's out among the people. We'll come back to that in just a second. But I wanted you to notice one final thing. Uh, The text does not tell us what the signs and wonders are. And and because, and I wonder why that is. I wonder why that is. Why do you think that it is? Uh, Maybe because the Holy Spirit, like, didn't think that we needed to know. Like, maybe he was content to leave it at signs and wonders that were the evidence of the Holy Spirit in his life. The point wasn't what they were, but that they were evident to the people around him. And so there's a broad variety of things that this could be. Uh, Often when the phrase is used, it is used of healing people or casting out demons. And that's where our minds like immediately go. I I don't want us to be limited in that though. I mean, maybe we do get to pray for somebody diligently and they're healed and it shows God's glory or there's a demon that we pray over a place and, and someone's released from that. And like that stuff has happened in our ministry at Oak Hill. And so uh, I believe the more that we're on the front lines of evangelism, the more that kind of thing might happen. But sometimes the signs and wonders of the Holy Spirit are a little less dramatic in our minds. But not less supernatural. They're less dramatic, but they're not less supernatural. And so just think about the ways that the Holy Spirit uh, changes people. And the first way that I want you to think about, the Bible talks about surrendered character, otherwise known as the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things aren't just things that we produce by trying harder to do in the flesh. They are a supernatural fruit of us yielding to the Spirit in our lives. Go back and look at Galatians 5 where that list is. It's all about yielding to the Spirit and then this is how you know you've yielded to the Spirit. The Bible talks about then a supernatural love that exists between the people of the church being a mark of the Spirit. So um, there's a unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Jesus said that the world is going to know that we are the disciples of Jesus by our love for one another. And so that's a supernatural work of the Spirit. Wherever there's unity in the church, do you think that speaks volumes to a world that is so polarized on everything and can't get along with anything when we as the church come together around Jesus Christ? They're going to stand up and take notice. 
Surrendered character, supernatural love. Third thing I want you to see is sacrificial service. That we would give of ourselves for those who are in spiritual and physical need. Uh, I believe Stephen is all about this. Like he's, he's one who within the church gave himself for the, the care of widows. And when Jesus walked the earth, He looked upon people with compassion. He healed their diseases. He entered into their pain. He wept with them. He was just with them there. And our hearts need to be filled with the same kind of compassion. Our hearts will be the same if we are filled with the Spirit. It's going to look different from the service of the world. The world serves in order to feel better about themselves or, or to look good in front of others. They, they do it to give themselves a pat on the back and, and get awards and everything else for philanthropy. We just do it to make much of Jesus. We put Jesus on that pedestal. We climb off. And when that happens, our good deeds become a platform for the Gospel. Let's not be constrained in our thinking then when it comes to miraculous signs and wonders that the Spirit wants to do in our lives. Like those things are miraculous. They are supernatural when they are done for the glory of the name of Jesus Christ. Any work that the Spirit is doing to transform us into the image of Christ is a sign and wonder of the power of the Gospel. Our deeds become the platform on which we display the beauty of the Gospel. And so think about this. How did the deeds of the Spirit in your life build a platform for the Gospel in this past week? I'm not asking, like, do people think you were a nice person? I'm asking, were people able to see the power of God at work in you because you were depending upon the Spirit to do the work that only He can do? Really, I think this involves two parts. Uh, First, our, our deeds have to be controlled by the Spirit. And, and so, like, we can't fake that. And so go back to the first point and depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, God's not just calling us to be nice people. He's, he's calling us to be transformed people. And that means our lives are going to take a shape that looks different than anything in the world around us. It means that we're going to live to love Jesus with every fiber of our being, which means then that a supernatural love for our neighbors is going to come out of our lives in abandonment of self. It means that we pray fervently about everything that we do and we expect God to give us opportunities for the Gospel. Our deeds have to be controlled by the power of the Spirit. And then, as that happens, we actually need to be around lost people so that they can see our deeds. Like Stephen was among the people. He's among the people. And sometimes we can be so isolated and individualistic in our thinking that we aren't even around lost people so that they could see the deeds of the Spirit that are present in our lives. Our rural culture strongly values those two things. Isolation and individualism, right? Those are like, like we, we stake our lives on those things. But i got to tell you, like they're working against the purposes of the Holy Spirit in your life. And we can't embrace them as a church. It's easy to leave my air-conditioned car and go to my air-conditioned house and bypass my neighbor and not talk to him because I'm more comfortable that way 
It's easy to eat lunch by myself at work because that's one moment of solitude in my day that I finally get some peace and quiet. It's, it's easy to use my days off to knock out house project after house project after house project without ever being intentional about how we're serving the lost and allowing our good deeds to shine before men so that they glorify our Father in Heaven. What if you took a day off every year to serve your neighbors in some way? What if that became part of your vacation time that you built in? The deeds of the Spirit must be on display in our lives if we're going to develop courageous evangelism. A life of surrendered character, supernatural love for God's people, sacrificial service, lived around lost people as a platform for the gospel. When people see those things, they're going to stand up and take notice. It's going to give us then an opportunity to declare the words of the Spirit. That's point number three. Declare the words of the Spirit. So Stephen's deeds set the stage for gospel opportunity. But it's not a gospel opportunity that one might expect. Look at verse 9. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. I want you to notice something. This is not what we would typically think of as an opportunity to share the gospel. Like, like we think that gospel opportunities are these nice, neat experiences where the person is just soft and mushy and ready, like their heart is totally open, and we share the gospel, and they're like weeping and ready to just give their whole life over, lives over to Jesus, and it just takes one shot, and that's all that it is. And, and that could happen. It could. But those aren't only the opportunities that we should be waiting for. Like if we're waiting around for that to be the only opportunity that we see as an opportunity, we're going to be waiting a whole long time. And we're going to be missing a lot of other opportunities. These guys are disputing with him. They're arguing with him. But we're going to see in a little while that they are hot angry because of what Stephen is speaking. And he speaks up and he shares the gospel. He speaks words of wisdom. And the text says that they could not withstand his wisdom. And I think so many times we read something like that and you're like, well, there you go. I'm just not that wise. I'm not eloquent enough. If that were me, I'd get trampled all over. And, and so, like, I'm out. But look at it again. They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Stephen is not relying on his own wisdom. He's relying on the Spirit's wisdom. Do you hear how often this is coming up in this text? See, Jesus had given a promise to his disciples that Stephen could rely upon. He said, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. 
Now, do you think maybe the disciples, uh, as persecution started getting hot in Acts chapter 4, maybe the disciples started teaching the rest of the church some of the things that they had learned from Jesus, and maybe that this was one of them? And do you think maybe Stephen was remembering this promise of Christ as he's right there sitting in a synagogue delivered, needing to defend himself? Like, do you think just maybe like he was putting those things together? This is exactly what Jesus described. It's also uh, how Paul described his own preaching and evangelism. I mentioned this verse last week, and I think it's important that we pay attention to it again. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5. And I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. He was scared. He was fighting against the, the temptation to not courageously evangelize. And my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And when we fear not having the words to say, we demonstrate whose words we're relying upon. And we need to remember Paul's words to Timothy. He says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. The spirit that we have been given is a spirit of power who's going to give us the words that we need. So I have to ask you this morning, like, who controls your words? Who controls your words? I don't just want you to think about this in the things that you don't say. Like, like well, I don't swear on the construction site and everybody else does, and so I guess that's something, right? Like, and it is something. It is something. But I also want you to think about what you do say. What you do say. Does the Spirit guide your words so that you make much of Jesus in everything that you do? I was at a wedding yesterday, and, and the best man uh, said to the groom in his toast, he says, I don't know if I've ever gone 10 minutes in a conversation with you without you talking about Jesus at least once. I was like, man, I hope, I wish, I hope somebody can say that about me. That's it. Paul wrote to the Colossians, he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. So that's that deeds part, right? Like displaying the deeds of the Spirit. But then he continues, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So we walk, we, we display the deeds, but then we talk. We declare the words. We declare with the wisdom of the Spirit. And so are you wise in your responses to people? Do your words demonstrate that God controls your life and guides your responses? Would people see you as a source of supernatural wisdom where they can go to find some of the answers to life's questions simply because you love the Word of God and you're always going to go back there? Do you point to Jesus and His power in your life and the things that you say? That's what Stephen did. And his wisdom 
in his responses to the synagogue of the freedmen get them really riled up. Look at what happens next. Uh, Look at verse 12. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. That's the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. And then he goes on from there and he, he, he explains uh, the rest of the Old Testament. You know when he starts back at Abraham, uh, you know this is going to be a long answer, right? Like It's like, it's like tell, me, tell me about yourself a little bit. Well, I was born in Carlisle, Pennsylvania and... Like he's going way back here and he goes on and he explains the rest of the story of salvation uh, all the way up and through Jesus. He doesn't quite get to finish his gospel presentation before they interrupt him. But for the moment, I just want us to learn from Stephen about courageous evangelism that that once we depend on the power of the Spirit and once we display the deeds of the Spirit and once we then declare the words of the Spirit, we're going to need to do this fourth step that we sometimes stop short of and that is we need to double down on the message of the Spirit. Double down on the message of the Spirit. So they're clearly trying to corner him here. They've got false witnesses. They're, they're trying to get him. And it would be a ton easier in this moment, and we may even think it may be a ton wiser in this moment, to come up with some sort of evasive answer that gets him out of the situation. But Stephen instead doubles down. Stephen was accused of speaking against the temple and the law in the name of Jesus. And so instead of saying, no, 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 I I love the law. You guys misunderstood me. Like Jews and Christians are exactly the same. Maybe if he were 1,500 years ahead, he'd be like, and Muslims too. Like we're all just one, the same kind of people. Like, you know, he, he could have done that. But instead of backing down, he doubles down. And he's like, no, no, no. Your problem is that you just don't understand the law or the temple. You, you, you think that I'm rejecting it, but I actually understand it better than you do. And so he just takes him to school. And he takes him on the tour of the Old Testament, a tour of salvation history, and he starts with God's promise to Abraham, and then he moves on to Joseph, and, and he moves on to Moses, and he spends a lot of time there because of the accusation against the law, and Moses was the one that recorded the law, right? So if he loves Moses, he loves the law. And then he traces the history through Joshua and the conquest of Canaan. And he gives some extra explaining when he gets to David because David was the one who had this dream to build the temple. And Solomon, his son, actually got to get the thing completed. And he was accused of hating the temple, remember? So he has to show that. But then he shows that it was never about the temple in the first place. That there was always a promise that was coming. It was always a promise that they were looking forward to. 
Because God can't be contained in a house made by human hands. And there was a prophet like Moses that was coming later. And so this is about God dwelling with His people through the incarnate Son and the indwelling Spirit and writing His law upon the hearts of men. And so up until this last point, they're they're probably um, tracking with Him mostly. They probably would have been even thinking like, whoa, this guy really does know his Bible. That's cool. But then when he gets to the prophets, he, he makes it really personal and he turns to them and accuses them of being just like the Old Testament people of Israel who resisted the Spirit. And he says in chapter 7, verse 52, look there in your Bibles, chapter 7, verse 52, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Talk about courageous, spirit-empowered evangelism. You killed him. You, you did not receive the law. Like This is not the common evangelistic method of our day, is it? The prevailing method in the modern church is uh, make them feel as comfortable as possible. Become their friend. Wait until just the right moment. And then say something like, you don't want to go to hell when you die, right? Like, all you have to do is repeat these words after me and you'll become a Christian. Or even more, we we don't even bother with that part. Like, we we just invite them to church and we say, like, we're doing this really cool sermon series based upon the the most popular movies that have come out in the last five years. You're going to be so impressed. But Stephen, simply and plainly and boldly, said, you resisted the Spirit. You are responsible for Christ's death. You did not receive or keep the law. Courageous evangelism doubles down on the message of the Spirit. The message of the Gospel of Jesus Christ that came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and the coming judgment. You see, the truth is that our sins separated us from God. That's true for every single one of us, me included. We are lawbreakers. We valued created things like the temple more than the the Creator who lived there. And that's true of us today too. We worship the, the created things rather than the Creator. And we break God's law even when we think we're keeping it. And we think that we're generally good people who maybe just needed to get a little better. That we don't really need salvation. That our sins aren't that big of a deal to a holy God. And and we definitely don't think of ourselves as deserving of death in our culture, do we? Or the reason that Christ would have to die. But God says that because we broke the law, there needed to be a death of someone who kept it perfectly. And the only person who could keep that law perfectly was the completely righteous one who didn't exist in the world. And so God had to send His only Son, fully God and fully man, to live that perfect life for us. And He died at the hands of sinful men for our sin in our place. And He rose again victorious over the grave. And victorious over our sin. And the only way that we can be made right with God is to turn from our sin and to trust Jesus as the Savior and Lord who He truly is. And I hate to say it, but in our Selenko culture, that's a message that is not always explained or received fully. 
that we, too often, we try to reduce the message to its lowest common denominator. We try to make it as palatable and easy to hear as possible, as easy to receive as possible. And in doing so, we destroy our hearers. We say, pray this prayer, say these words, that's all it's going to take. You, you don't want to go to hell, do you? Like, like you, you just want a better life. You don't want God to fulfill all your dreams and all your destiny. We don't like the discomfort of confronting people in their sin and responsibility before a holy God. And so we, we just leave that part out or we speak about sin generally and, and therefore the gospel that is preached doesn't require very much conviction, very much repentance, and, and it really just doesn't require very much following at all. It's just magic words to get into heaven and to tweak some of our bad habits. And the result is a ton of people who have felt stirred in their emotions at some point to have some religious moment who think they knew Jesus but have resisted the Holy Spirit every step of the way in their lives and they've never truly turned from their sin and trusted Jesus as their Savior. And in Solanco today, if we're going to be faithful in evangelism, it's going to take courage to double down on the message, to press past the first answer of, I went to church once. I believe in God and stuff and Jesus and all that. I just kind of fell out of it. You ever heard that? Ever heard that? We have to press in at that moment and not just shrug our shoulders and be like, okay, I guess they're fine then. Ask some probing questions. Questions like, what do you mean by believing in Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? What do you believe salvation is and what are you being saved from? And who are you trusting to save you? Who are you trusting to save you? That's an incredibly telling response. And and you can say something like, I'm concerned not just with what you say you believe, but who you truly worship. All of those things are going to help reveal the heart. And maybe the person's going to surprise us. I, I hope they do. And we're just going to have this little worship service together because, yeah, I know Jesus, and He's my Savior, and He's my Lord but maybe they're going to reveal that they've not truly surrendered to the righteous one who's rejected in every generation. Maybe they'll be the stiff-necked people that, that have resisted the Holy Spirit. Maybe that's even you here today. And if it is, I've got to tell you that you've got to turn and trust. Listen, we don't do people that we love any favors by not confronting them in their sin and the resistance to the Holy Spirit in their lives. We don't do them any favors by leaving them with the thought that they can get around to following Jesus later as long as they have said that they believe in Him and that they think nice thoughts about Him and they do nice things for people. There are a lot of people who think nice thoughts about a Jesus who are going to spend eternity in hell because they will not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel is simple. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. It is by His grace alone that we are saved. It is simple, but that repentance is not easy. 
And it is really only the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer, of the unbeliever, that can bring about that type of saving faith. And our job is to double down on the message. And His job is to do the saving. We double down even when we know it's going to result in hostility. That's going to require this final step toward courageous evangelism. Uh, Defy fear through the Spirit. Defy fear through the Spirit. Stephen doesn't even get to finish telling them about what Jesus did for them. He, he would have gotten to the whole resurrection part, but they get too angry. They, they can't get over the fact that they're being called sinners. And so look at chapter 7, verse 54. I encourage you to just press through the organ playing in the background. He says, now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at Him. They ground their teeth at Him. And we might look at that and say, uh, Stephen failed. He he didn't wait for the right time to share Jesus. He, He saw this as an opportunity when it really wasn't and he rushed ahead and he he took matters into his own hands. Uh, Listen, but that's not the way that Jesus sees it. Look at verse 55. But He, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And He said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit gave him exactly what he needed in that moment to defy fear. Exactly what we need in that moment to defy fear. A glimpse of the resurrected Savior. And as he sees Jesus, Jesus is standing. The standing is the position of an advocate before the throne of God. We sang it earlier. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. And so this is Jesus declaring Stephen's faithfulness even as we would see his death as failure. This is the type of courageous evangelism that Jesus loves and encourages in His people. It's not about the outcome. It's about the faithfulness. And it's the vision of the resurrected Jesus standing that sustains Stephen. Luke is making parallels between Stephen's death and Jesus' death. Look at verse 57. He says, They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at Him. And then they cast Him out of the city and stoned Him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. He's making parallels between Stephen's death and Jesus' death. Jesus is the one who first said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He's the one who said when he was dying, Lord, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stephen is embracing, drawing near to Christ in his sufferings. He's drawing near to the, in the same sufferings that his Savior endured. And he's defying one of the strongest fears that can hold our hearts, the fear of death. 
because he knows that his Savior passed through death and is now standing at the right hand of God in victory. And when we know the Savior of the gospel that we share, we are courageous to defy fear through the Spirit. And I just wonder, what fears are keeping you from sharing the gospel? Is it the fear of a broken relationship? Jesus endured that. Is it the fear of rejection? Jesus for sure endured rejection a lot. Is it the fear of physical suffering? Maybe financial loss because you would lose your job or physical safety because somebody's going to come after you or, or some sort of security. Jesus endured all those things. Is it a fear even of death? Jesus went even to death and is now seated at the right hand of God victorious. And because Jesus conquered death, we can defy fear through the powerful Spirit at work in us. The Spirit can keep our eyes fixed on Christ if we depend on Him. That's what the Spirit does. He points us to Jesus. If we depend on the Spirit, He's going to change our lives in supernatural ways that display His work. If we depend on the Spirit, He's going to give us the words that we need to declare the message of Jesus in the moment that we need it. If we depend on the Spirit, He's going to give us the wisdom that we need to double down on the message of Christ because there's no other message that saves. If we depend on the Spirit, we can defy even the fear of death. And so I just want to leave you with that question again this morning. This week, are you going to live safe? Or are you going to live sent? Are you, as John Bloom put it, going to ask, seek, and knock until God answers and take risks that press on your timidity? Or will you just keep wishing you were bolder? Admiring bold people, being inspired by biographies about bold people like Stephen, talking with our friends and small group members about our struggles with the fear of man, all the while staying where we feel safe and relatively comfortable and letting fear go unchallenged. Think about one way that you can stretch yourself in this area. It's going to start with prayer. It's got to start with prayer. That's the dependence upon the Holy Spirit that we need. But then it's going to result in stepping out in faith that is something that's a little bit scary. I think often we think like, God's not calling me to that because it feels scary. Yeah, it's going to feel scary. It's like the, the fear doesn't go away. We defy the fear. We defy the fear because of the Spirit within us. Who would God bring into your life to display the deeds of the Spirit to you this week? Who would God call you to declare the message of Jesus to this week? The opportunities don't always look like we expect. And success may not dream, be what we dreamed of. But the reward of knowing Jesus Christ is going to be worth it. Are you going to live safe or are you going to live sent? We want to be a church that lives sent. That sees every interaction with others as an opportunity to make much of Jesus and direct others to Him.
So I just want us to take some time even now and seek the Lord on this. Just bow your heads and close your, close your eyes. Lord, we want to seek you. And first of all, we want to confess in our hearts any ways that we have want, that we have backed down from courageous evangelism in favor of living safe. Just take a moment to to confess that before the Lord if that's you. If it's not, don't confess something that's not true. And Lord, we ask that you would fill us with boldness. That we would be a church that is constantly talking about Jesus and and allowing the wisdom of God to drive our lives. That the deeds of the Spirit would be so on display and so evident that we would have many opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make us faithful in this, Lord. Give us your wisdom and your power. And Lord, I do pray that we would see many people come to know Jesus and worship Jesus as a result. Lord, show us where we need to go. Show us who you want us to reach out to. Stretch us, Lord. Stretch us, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let me just make one statement here. Uh, It may look like Stephen failed. And nobody comes to Jesus at the end of this story. But you know what happens? There's a great persecution in Jerusalem. And the church just starts scattering. And everywhere that they go, they start telling people about Jesus. And we know that people start believing because in Judea and Samaria, churches are planted. And the gospel goes forward. And so the results weren't this immediate thing, but there was a ton of fruit. I want you to be encouraged by that. It's about the faithfulness not about the results. John's going to come and share some announcements with us. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.